to the open side. Karim Bete. Hufflegal here for Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Bete. Back to Simon. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Hi there, and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby. We are the people's podcast, providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Mitch. Join me this week is Lockie. We've got Ando joining us shortly from Bali for a brief uh, chat around the Wallabies. It's a sad day in Australian rugby with the results that's happened this morning, Lockie. How are you feeling currently? How did you manage to get yourself up and about to uh, to record the podcast this evening. Oh, hello. And I wish I was with Ando. I wish I was with Ando in Bali going full Matt Giddo, deleting a couple of Mai Tais and deleting the memory of this morning's early wake up. Uh, lots to unpack in this one, mate. Uh, I know it's going to be tough to chew through uh, a bit of a mm. <laughs> autopsy of um, the Wallaby's body after that, but it was, a, it was a hard watch, mate. How are you holding up? Yeah, look, it's uh, it's a disappointing performance from the Wallabies this morning. It's a disappointing performance in just the whole approach to the World Cup. We've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot to unpack. We've got a lot to kind of get off our chests. And uh, I think the best thing is that we can do this together, that the, the three of us can just get through what was a pretty low day in Australian rugby. And it's probably the lowest day that we have had for a very long time. But... Um, let's, let's not get too ahead of ourselves so far. Now we do have our tipping comp that is currently chugging along in the background. So if you haven't joined it yet, you still have the chance to get involved. Now the code is up on the screen. If you are watching on YouTube, if not, um, you can just go to any of our social media platforms and links there. Um, we're on the official rugby world cup website platform for tipping this year. So if you are on there, make sure you just search for pick and drive rugby and we should come up. Uh, but for those players that are playing along at home and well done to the following players who are currently leading our competition. So in first place, we have Kakadu on 290 points. We have Felix nine coming in second on 259 and then fee J zero three in third place on 224. Now I've only got five places up on the screen. Lockie, you weren't far off number five when I had a look before. Oh, I think last time I checked in, we might have been in top 10. I've slipped because I keep tipping with my heart. I've slipped down to 14th. But I'll tell you what, Kakadu on 290 has opened up a serious lead um, on Felix and the rest of the gang. So, you know, it's really a two-horse race at this point through the pool stage. I'll see if they can pull that back uh, over the next couple of weeks as well. But some, you know, some huge results that we're going to get through. We also got our fantasy comp running as well. So if you um, want to get involved in that, do go to our socials and get involved there. Um, some pretty big scores coming out this week from some players in particular. Now, um, before we do get any further, I do need to shout out two calls action that we currently have. So we're calling for everyone to join our Discord server. This is a, a server we put together to discuss the best Australian rugby community going around. Now, we've got profiles on there for all of the games that are happening. We've got a, a community of a few hundred people that have come together and uh, in some ways this morning for the Wallabies game was pretty disappointing. But the thing that got me through it was having the Discord server there and having people that we could chat through. We could throw bounce ideas off each other and we could just enjoy the hurt together. So um, if you do want to be involved in that, do go to Discord and sign up. Do go to our uh 
our social media platforms as well. We've got a link to that server there as well. And our last one is a call to action. Uh, please consider giving us a, a donation or a one-off uh, tip to help the podcast sort of push along in the background. We've had some big donations come in, in the past few weeks. So a massive shout out to the people that have put their um, their money into the podcast. We really do appreciate that. And uh, there's lots things, lots of things that we're working on in the background to kind of keep the lights on and keep things pushing on um, and every little bit helps. So we do do this for love, not money, but every cent that is contributed does help a great deal there as well. So thank you to all those legends that have contributed and, and do continue to contribute because we do appreciate it. And um, yeah, we hope that it can continue to make the podcast as good as it is. Um, I think that's about it for the intro. Look, I don't know if you can tell Lockie, but I am trying to put off us having to talk about the Wallabies as much as possible. But I think we've gotten to that point where we just need to rip the bandaid off and get into it. What do you think? It's not even ripping a bandaid off. It's ripping the stitches out. Let's just go. Let's get into it. All right, let's go. Let's get Ando on board and let's dive into the Wallabies. All right, let's not put it off any further. The worst has happened. The Wallabies are officially out of the Rugby World Cup 2023. Not officially. If Fiji lose and there's a few other permutations, technically we can still get in, but it's not going to happen. So, yeah, we're out of the World Cup. <laughs> That's the eternal optimist there, Ando. So, Ando is joining <laughs> us from Bali, tuning in from his holiday over there. So, well done for um for the, making the commitment and getting in and, um, I, I think if this was a Wallabies win, maybe we wouldn't see Ando on the pod, but he has to get in and, and just vent some frustration from yep. what was the performance this morning. Now, let's just dive straight into our thoughts and feelings. And I'll throw to you first, Ando, because you are um, strapped for time. What happened? How are you feeling? What are the emotions after the loss? Mate, I was just devastated. I um. Uh, the time difference here and a bunch of things had meant that I didn't get to watch it live. I woke up early, started watching the game, and then things were looking okay throughout the match. But then I got a bloody email from Rugby Australia with the heading saying something to the effect of Wallabies go down to Wales. And I was like, damn it. Um, <laughs> so I got the score ruined for me. And I was only up to about the 18th minute. And at that point of the game, it wasn't looking too, too bad. I mean, the opening play of the game we've given away a stupid penalty for Parecki not rolling away and then in Wales's first attacking line out it proved that you don't put an untried 10 with players he hasn't played inside and outside at an international must-win game because they just carved straight through us but man it just went from not great to worse and by about the that line out in a 25th minute you remember that one that line out Mm -hmm. where like all the Australian line out just fell over or something like that. Uh, that that one moment just made me go, oh my God, this is one of the worst events in Australian rugby in the last couple of decades, I think. Now, the final score was 40 to 6 to Wales. Lockie, that is not a flattering scoreline at all. The one thing that we can, I guess, be proud of as Australians is that we didn't let Wales get a bonus point. They didn't get the four tries, but they look close. Uh, the fact that we weren't able to cross the line at all, is that is that part of... Does that add uh, some frustration into this result? 
I don't know if it's possible to add more frustration to the <laughs> result. I think I would almost rather them score four tries and you know show that they actually outplayed us. But everything in the statistical breakdown, even the you know penalties conceded, wasn't actually that bad. Yes, we conceded twelve, but they conceded nine. I mean, on paper, these teams statistically matched up, and we just lacked. We lacked in every department that can't be measured. To me, it looked like we ran out of gas, we gave up, and it's heartbreaking. And I said he's devastated, and I mirror that completely. I feel empty after that. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know where to turn. Um, I think what we saw from Wales, and you've got to give them credit because they did play well. They played a really effective game plan reliant on strong kick chase, um, and excellent defence, um, including their rush defence led by nine. And they just totally outthought us. I mean, we got outthought last week against Fiji, and I thought that's the area that we could and most notably improve on. That's where we could make the most change, but we did it the other way. We regressed, and it's it's hard to see, I think. It's almost worse losing 40 points to six when, you know, six penalties are kicked and a drop goal as well by Anscombe because it's our own... Um, failings um, either side of the ruck yeah. and it just got exposed in every single way. Uh, I have you know, pretty few positives I think I can add to that one. So, yeah, maybe, sure, they didn't get the four-try bonus point. Maybe Fiji can still top the pool somehow. But, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough, tough read. Ando, what, what are the emotions right now? Are you angry? Are you upset? Are you <sighs> sad? Yeah, um you know, I've, I've forgotten what movie this line comes from. Part of me wants to say it's from Taylor Swift, but it's like, I don't love you. I don't hate you anymore. I nothing you. That's actually the worst thing is to nothing someone um, because it shows that lack of emotional care. In this moment, I just nothing the state of rugby because I'm just so over the fact that we have this these bad decisions being made by people in positions of authority whose responsibility it is to steward the beautiful game that so many people in our country love. And yet, I mean, we, we were calling about the decision to bring in Eddie and get rid of Rennie particularly at that time as being a bad decision. And look where we are at now. And that's without even going into and talking through the potential Japan move after this World Cup, which has come out through the excellent reporting from Tommy Deason as well. So, I mean, there's so much to break down, but yeah, I kind of nothing rugby at the moment. That's why I put that post out on Twitter, being like, three <laughs> podcast hosts needed, job going, uh, just because I'm just so frustrated by the whole situation. Lucky, do you kind of mirror those sentiments? Yeah, I do. It's it's frustration that's not just surface level. It's you know in our skin, it's mm-hmm. in our bones. Yep. I think you know everyone who's involved in this podcast and who listens to it, who's been on as a guest, who you know checks out the Twitter. I mean, we live and breathe it. We love it, and that number of people who feel that way just got fewer from this result alone. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people talking about you know it's a battle for you know, survival and the soul of rugby and that kind of thing. And if that's the case, we just lost, which is gut-wrenching. It's so hard to swallow. And I know that I'm going to be back, you know, in a couple of weeks and we'll be pumping up the Wallaroos' tyres. We'll get behind the boys when they play Portugal. You know, there's still good rugby to come on the horizon and super rugby rolling around again before we know it. But I'd wager that there's a few people that won't take that journey with us. And that just sucks. Like that yep. really rips a hole in me. What about you, Mitch? You've been doing a lot of the talking. How do you feel about this one? 
Look, I, uh, I'm kind of surprised in myself in how I've felt since the result and I, I got up, I got, I mean, I got up at five o'clock this morning and tuned in live and that first try that Wales scored, I was kind of just resigned. I think from that point on third minute or whatever it was, they just sliced through our, our, our defense. Like it wasn't even there school, uh, barely t- hand touched, um, on the defender. And I just sort of thought, here we go. Like, this is it. Um, mm. We don't look good from this point. And then, the, as I mentioned before, the 25th minute, they just bottle that line out and just absolutely go to poop. And then they kick it long and 50-22 or scrum, was it? that um, 50 up... Yep. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, we've gone from our best attacking structure of the game to defending on our own try line. And I thought, this is it. And then from that point on, it did. The game just completely blew out of the Wallabies' hands. And it wasn't. I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. I was kind of just resigned to the fact that this isn't a good Wallabies team. This isn't a good Wallabies performance. This isn't the best Australian team that we could be putting on the park right now. And I think if I, like now, I'm, I'm getting a little bit emotional thinking about it, but I'm upset mostly for the players. And you could mm, tell that from... 100%. The performance or the way that the players were reacting after the final whistle, they were upset and it's not their fault. They've been put into this horrible situation and sort of been lambs to the slaughter. In preparation for the podcast today, I just started writing down questions. I think the only thing that that comes out of this World Cup campaign and definitely comes out of this game is three pages nearly of questions that we need answered. We don't have answers for anything. We've just got questions. What was the game plan? Why did we have certain players selected? Why did we have certain players not selected? Just some of the way that the whole World Cup campaign went with the injuries that were picked up along the way, the the handling of those injuries, the handling of the new the news. I just I, I sit we sit here now and we've we've got one game to go, but effectively our World Cup is over. There's no chance realistically of us getting out of the pool. And we look back on some of the decisions that were made and it still doesn't make any sense. Why is Michael Hooper not there? Why is Quade Cooper not there? Why is Lenny Kitao not in the team? Why is a player like Parisi in the team that hasn't played a single minute at this World Cup? Like we just have so many questions and I don't think we're going to get those answers, which is really frustrating. Yep. Yep. It's, it just speaks to some of the overall challenges and questions I think we're facing that we're just not really going to get. And uh, a question that's been raised which hasn't received an answer is the questions to Eddie about his Japan interview. So he met with um, Japanese people from JRFU. Supposedly. About, Supposedly. Tommy Deason wouldn't put it out there if he didn't have solid, solid evidence that it had happened. And Eddie has never denied that the meeting took place, but he said it was it was nothing. It was nothing. Um, well, has actually, was nothing. Has Eddie <clears throat> agreed? Has Eddie acknowledged it? Because in the press yeah. conference when, yeah. when asked, he just said, I don't know what you're talking about. He just outright denied it. Yeah, so Hamish McClinton, no, Phil War had called him and spoken to him about it. Um, just to check that there was uh, nothing to the meeting, but it was implied that the meeting had actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the question is, if there was nothing to it, just say there was nothing to it. Just go, oh, yeah, look, I spent this much time working with the Japanese Rugby Association and we were all in the same place at the same time, so I caught up with them for dinner. If that's the case, then say it. Say there's nothing to it. 
but the the silence from it is so difficult there and it like i said before it just speaks to this broader issue of um transparency in decision making you're pointing out particular players and decisions around particular players like if max jorgensen can come on the wallabies to uh, the wallabies world cup squad carrying an injury uh why can't michael hooper carry an why can't Lenikita? yeah why can't he's available now why can't yeah. Nikitao do it? And so there seems to be more at play there that's really hard to see. And just the stupid mind games that we get and the stupid, like, foxing and um, shadow boxing with, with reporters is so frustrating. So just give us a straight answer, man. Like, if you say that Nikitao's injury was too severe to be worth gambling on, whereas Jorgensen's was a more run-of-the-mill injury so it's a more concrete return to play process and fine cool okay mm-hmm. that's not a problem just say it it's just it, it engenders this lack of trust within the wallaby setup and then that kind of transfers into other areas of the game as well but that's enough for me for now uh Lockie, um there are questions about the way that eddie jones has gone about the management of this world cup there are uh questions that are now being asked around the way forward. Now, we won't necessarily dive into all of those questions now. We won't necessarily talk about what happens next for the Wallabies. I think we'll wait until the World Cup finishes. We'll we'll let it settle. We'll see what RA officially does say and what they do. Uh, And then we might do a deep dive into it in a few weeks' time when when the timing's right and we all have some time to kind of really dig into it and, and put some time into it. But at the moment, where... What what can the Wallabies do in the next week, in the next, I guess, few weeks? What can the Wallabies do from your mind that's going to, I don't know, turn things around slightly? Oh, I mean, well, can they've they? got to win. Can they? Let's, like, I mean, they're still over in France. Uh, it would be unconscionable to lose to Portugal. They need to absolutely demolish them to prove that they have a belief in themselves and B, can repay the faith put in them by coaches, staff, supporters, all stakeholders and people involved in Australian rugby. They owe it to us. They owe us a performance. And I don't think they would begrudge that or you know push back on that idea. We are owed a huge performance against Portugal. How that happens is up to them and whether the players and the staff involved in that can pull it together. What we're going to see, I think, over the next couple of weeks is a real shake up a real shaking of the tree and i think the last the the worst thing that could happen is that the wallabies limp home against portugal come back and are allowed to be the whole team allowed to slip into anonymity um i think there needs to be some kind of review that's not internal um clearly rugby australia um has had a few of those over the past years and none of them have resulted in to what I see as meaningful change and progress. So we're in for a hell of a couple of weeks. Um, mm. On our front, I, I know that all the staff are gutted. Everyone's hurting from the from the top down. I just feel I feel for especially you know members of the staff in the in the community teams and the uh, officiating and coaching who you know absolutely bust their guts whatever their role to improve grassroots rugby in Australia. And it's a hard sell. It's a really hard sell when you send your top men's team off 
and they serve up that. So mm. a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Um, and, yeah, it's it's got to be a strong win against Portugal, prove that there's something left in the tank and, you know, come home and lick your wounds. Can I just and, jump in there, yep. Mitch? Um, yep. Just because it's really important that Lockie raised, which is the idea of an external review and one that's actually made public and that there's some level of accountability. Now, I'm not inherently saying that heads need to roll, but there does need to be a really full and transparent review process by which members of the public, supporters, people involved with the game at different levels can see a level of transparency and openness to acknowledge the issues that have been present within Australian rugby for a long period of time and to then provide meaningful and well-considered steps forward for the game. And, I mean, I just don't trust that that's going to happen right now because what's, what's Hamish McLennan's track record right now for Australian rugby? Okay, he got rid of... Um, Dave Rennie, which costs us about half a million dollars in having to pay him out. He's brought in Eddie Jones at a really big cost for a five-year deal that he may not see out the last four years of. Maybe he will, maybe he will, but there's some conjecture around that at the moment. The Wallabies under his tenure have now crashed out to the worst World Cup performance they ever had in the worst defeat against Wales they'd ever experienced. They've got Joseph Suali'i for, what, $1.5 million across a few seasons, but that doesn't start yet. And the women's game is in disrepute and private uh, equity or private investors have now pulled out of that process or Rugby Australia has pulled out of that process because they're not getting enough money for the product. So what's he got to show for his time at the helm of RA? Like literally nothing. And yet if RA goes back and does another one of these internal for our eyes only reports, that's going to be really, really difficult to stomach as a much as a supporter of the game who loves the game and wants to have clarity around what the game is going to be doing moving forward to address the deep-seated problems. So sorry for that little rant there, but Lockie, no, you, just, um, you just mentioned that with the idea of the review process. Now, looking forward, there's already talks around heads rolling. Uh, is... Eddie Jones, the person to lead the Wallabies forward out of this little, this dark spot. Ando, what, what are your thoughts around that? Look, we've almost like built the rod for our own backs here. You kind of have to back him at this point because he's come in, he's absolutely torn up the template that Dave Rennie was working with and had built for the previous what, three years. Um, and now he's changed the structure of the team. He's changed the assistant coach setup and um, entirely changed the playing uh, group as well. So I think with that in mind, yeah, you kind of have to stick with him um, and and just trust that he is still a good coach that who can who can execute on what he is promising. We have to trust in that, and trust is getting pretty hard to come by at these points. Yeah, my uh, my biggest frustration when we look back is that no one in RA has actually challenged Eddie Jones, it feels like, to this point, that Eddie Jones has been handed the keys to the kingdom and has he must have had one hell of a PowerPoint, let's, let's admit it, when he addresses the board and says, all right, I'm not picking Hooper, I'm not picking Cooper, I'm not picking Iketau, this is my World Cup squad, we're going to be the youngest group at the World Cup, we've got the easiest draw, but we're still going to win it. And that no one at RA said, actually, I don't think that's a smart idea. Why don't you have a backup fly half? Why don't you have a, a, a proven leader? Who, who's your captain? Okay, Will Skelton, that's fine. 
But Will Skelton captained the team in one game in this World Cup. He then picked up an injury. Obviously, that's not his... You can't decide that or uh, pick that up in in a preparation for a World Cup campaign. But mm. on retrospect, the way that the whole leadership of this World Cup has been managed is a bit of a shambles. And it just it just felt like, looking back, Eddie Jones has blown everything up. He's blown up our structures. He's blown up our... Uh, approach. He's blown up our leadership, our captain, our, our leadership team, and he um, hasn't. Uh, Ando's just telling us that he's got to head off. So, Ando, any last comments you wanted to say before Lockie and I keep going? Mate, I hate myself for saying this, but there's always hope, isn't there? Like, I hate myself for saying that, but there's always hope. Um, and I want it to be incredibly clear in no way is any of what I'm saying about the people, people, particularly the players who are putting their effort in day in, day out to grow and improve the game. And you saw after the match how much it mattered to the players um, that lost. So none of this is targeting any particular player. It's more of frustration with the overall direction of Rugby Australia and the broader organisational factors that come from the leadership within RA as well, which I'm finding really, really difficult to um, kind of deal with as a result of the situation that this loss puts us in. Um, the good news is that if anybody um, remembers, I'm actually half Welsh. So I'm now Welsh and um, okay. I'm really happy okay. for this 40 to 6 win. And on that note, I'm going to go team. So I'm going to go give my mum a call and talk about all the good things that Welsh players have done over the last uh, 24 hours. It's great. <laughs> well, enjoy Bali, mate. Enjoy your holiday. Uh, we'll look forward to having you back on Australian soil and we'll... Uh deep dive into some of the ramifications from this Wallabies loss in a few weeks. Go well. Thanks, guys. See you, Tim. Bye. Enjoy, mate. All right, Lockie. Let's uh, let's keep going. So, geez, where do we go to from here, though? It's um, it's not a good performance. It's not a... It's not something that, as an Australian rugby fan, we can be proud of this result. And, look, the, the glaring question that comes out to me when we review this game and all World Cup... I was sitting at home watching the Wallabies performances and just waiting that Eddie Jones, it appeared had a game plan or had something in mind. Well, that's the way he communicated that he had some game plan. He had some plan or some way of doing things differently, but it was never evident on the field. The players looked lost. There never was any real change of direction, no change of leadership. No one ever changed things up. It just felt like we were consistently doing the same thing. Simple, boring rugby, one-up hit-ups, getting turned over at the breakdown, just not really competing in any facet of the game. It's brutal. It's a brutal assessment, but it's undeniable. And I mentioned before, Mitch, when we look at the, the stat sheet, we had a similar stat line to the Welsh across, you know, the in the entire 80 minutes. Towards the end, obviously, the Welsh had their hands on the ball more, um, I think they finished up, you know, with about 75% of possession in the last 10 minutes, which is understandable given their dominance. But, you know, we're both in the 90s for carries. Um, they had four line breaks. We had three. Uh, we both turned over an insane amount of ball. We turned over 14 times, but they still coughed up 11 times. So, you know, we're not perfect teams um, by any stretch of the imagination. The Welsh aren't that much better. But, you know, what what was missing, to my mind, aside from discipline, and that ties into this facet, is just direction. I mean, you mentioned the leadership, the experience. We looked rudderless. We looked like a raft tossed out in a storm and being totally 
blown around and overwhelmed. And I didn't see a leader on that field stand up and take control from the Australian side because a leader, and we've mentioned it before, I think a fully present leader takes that penalty shot to go 10-9 after 24 minutes and plays the long game. There was there was panic. That was a it's panic just, decision. And it was, so fru- it was such a frustrating decision that... At that point in the game, when thing the score is the scores are tight at that point, we're still in it. Yes, if we go to the line out and we score a try, it looks like a great decision. But we haven't been dominant in that area at all in this World Cup. Even against Georgia, we weren't looking dominant at the line out. So the the decision to go to the line is really questionable. Um, and as you said, the just the the decision making in this game and the leadership group. Now, no disrespect to Dave Parecki. He's a great player and he's had a great last few years in Australian rugby since he's come back from Europe. But he doesn't scream Wallaby's captain to mine. He doesn't do a whole lot in interviews. He doesn't give a whole lot to the media. He doesn't, he didn't seem to be revving the boys up and giving them the right messages of what they needed to do. As you said, there was players that looked really overawed and um, a little bit lost out there when Wales were consistently getting ahead of them on the scoreboard. Yet at no point was Dave Parecki sort of steadying the ship and giving them directions and saying, this is what we need to do moving forward. Why Eddie Jones didn't go back to Tate McDermott as captain is another question on my list. What What's the go there? Like you've named him Wallaby's oh. captain, what, four tests ago leading into the World Cup? He's the official vice captain. Yes, he got a HIA and he got a concussion, but he cleared that and he's back to play. Yet you stick with Parecki. It's, I just don't get that at all. I, I think we can look a lot back, a, a lot further back rather than just the past couple of games to look at the captaincy model under Eddie. I mean, you go co-captaincy to start with and then, I mean, you're down to McDermott for, no, Alatoa first for the Bledisloe one, if we remember when he was still kicking around before he dropped out. Um, and then Tate, Skelton comes in, and then Parecki. And this is this is not a knock on any of these players. I must stress, and I know Ando stressed it before, I have nothing but respect for the players because we saw the effort, we saw the intent. But you, there is no substitute. There is no substitute for experience. And I don't understand why that hasn't been seen at a higher level. We touched on it before, but I mean, sending in brand new test captains to a World Cup. I mean, I feel for Dave Parecki. I feel, why would you expect a a captain in his second ever role in a must-win World Cup game? How can you be expected to deliver what someone with 70, 80 captaincy test to their name can deliver or someone who has that experience consistently at Super Rugby and a taste of test. It's just, I think the absence of leadership within the playing group, at least from an external perspective, has been so much of the downfall of this team because we have not looked like a side that's been composed and we have looked panicked in each of our three games in the World Cup. We looked panicked against the French and we don't look comfortable with a style of play that is being taught or is being conveyed. And a side that doesn't know itself is a side that's not going to win. You know, dig, dig deep into your Sun Tzu art of war. You know, the first enemy is yourself. First enemy you conquer is yourself. I mean, how, how the hell are we supposed to beat teams 
like, you know, Wales, who are a consistent Six Nations side under Gatland, regardless of what you make of the past year. How are you supposed to be at that time when they know their identity? Yeah. I don't know what the Wallabies' identity is. They don't know what the Wallabies' identity is. I don't think there is an identity currently in this Wallabies team. They all look lost. There isn't a clear game plan. And if it is, it's very, very simple. But we're not executing it well. We're not even doing the basics right. The amount of unforced turnover ball, drop ball in this game was just inexcusable for the conditions and for this level of rugby. Um, The other frustration I have, and this sits solely on Eddie Jones' shoulder, is just the management, the game management of the team. So he pulled James Slipper at halftime for Pone Falmasili. Now, at that point, we were getting parity with Wales in the scrum. And we know that Pone is an impact player and has the ability to come in like he did uh, in Bled 2 in Dunedin. He had a fantastic game, carried the ball really well, was breaking lines, breaking um, tackle bus left, right and center. But he didn't have that impact off the bench and our scrum went backwards. Now, in the lineup that Eddie Jones had picked for this team, James Slipper was our most capped player by nearly 50 points. Like he was, he double, tripled some players um, test experience. So to take him off at halftime and bring on a player that's got less than five test caps when we've already got a lack of leadership on the field and we're down by, at that point, 10 points is just mind boggling. It's, I, I can't see a rationale. Maybe there is one. Maybe Eddie's got one. Maybe the staff have one. But oh, you're right, Slipper What well, didn't just have parity at scrum time. He had dominance in that first half. I remember at least two um, penalties that he was able to force from the tight head side. And he was looking really strong, which is also a huge credit to a bloke who's been pulled back into tight head for the you know, first time in umpteenth years. <laughs> it's fantastic to see. And you know, if there's one bright spark that's out of you know this year of Australian rugby, it's the renaissance of James Slipper. I think it's been a great storyline to see him come this far. But I mean, you know, he's not the only player that we could look to that. I mean, why why is Andrew Kellaway pulled? Phil why is Andrew Valley. Kellaway pulled? For Vunavalu and you know, Kellaway, who looked the most assured we've seen, you know, in the past in the whole World Cup campaign at fullback, you know, he was. <laughs> I thought he was really strong. He topped the run meters. Um, he had some great involvement. Uh, I mean, there was the moment where he was caught. Was he caught out of position? Was that the chip kick try yeah. that Anscombe set up for Tompkins? Yeah, he so he was caught shifted out. left and got into the line, and they was just kicked it straight over the yeah. top to the gap that he left. Yeah. So that's that's obviously you know, a glaring error, but you know that wasn't his whole game. I don't think that can sum up his and whole game. And I don't game. think that's his and fault then, either. I don't think that that's an instinctual no. decision. I think that that's a coach tactic. And we have seen it all year this year that Wallabies, particularly our back three, are defending out of position. The amount of times that Marika Korobetti pops up on Nwangani Tawasi's wing or vice versa, or pops up in the centres in defence, it, it just doesn't make any sense from a logistical logical uh defensive pattern it's yeah there's a there's so much to unpack I'm, I'm i'm i will try and highlight a couple of positives i don't know how many there are i thought in the face of immense um pressure i thought tom hooper actually had a decent game he certainly made a lot of tackles um top that count he got his hands around the ball as much as he could um bobby valentini you've got to give him credit for never stopping i mean the man has just been a workhorse all year and did so again you saw those two in particular after halftime just shattered as well from work rate uh 
Gee, I mean, mate, outside of that, I haven't got. No one need to ask. Ben Donaldson kicked two from two. <laughs> yeah, Marky Mark had some good touches, but again, like handling yep. through the back line, some really inexcusable drops for you know must-win quarterfinal. And yeah, where where do we go? Where do we go from this? It's almost like therapy. This <laughs> session, I'm very pleased. I'll sit on the couch afterwards. Um, but you know, where can we take this, Mitch? Is is there a conclusion that we can find or a a uh, summary we can give for what was really, without any spin, a 34-point Rugby World Cup loss that kicked us out of the pool stage. There's a, a glaring comment that Eddie made in the post-match interview. I think it was the interview that he did with Morgan Turanui, not the press conference. But yep. he said, this has to be rock bottom. This has to be rock bottom for Australian rugby or, well, let's hope that it's rock bottom. Is what he's something along those lines. It's I was how could it possibly get worse from here? I mean, if we go on to lose a Lions series three 0 which is possible now, that's pretty bad. But the Lions are a pretty good team as well. I don't think it's worse than than this. the The only worse outcome would be if in twenty twenty seven, in our own home World Cup, we don't even get out of the pools again. That would be lower than this, but apart from that, this has to be the lowest and the darkest day in Australian rugby on record. Yes, yeah, certainly in the professional era. I know there were some really dark days. You have to, you know, look to the mind of you know someone far more experienced, like a like a Jim Tucker, to really get the sense of how bad things got back in the day. But yeah, look, successive pool game losses—it's never happened. Um, getting knocked out in the pool stage. Never happened. Um, I think, you know, you still got to give credit to Fiji and Wales. I'm hugely impressed with Fiji, obviously. And this Wales team now is in a position to make a decent run at what is a pretty good semi final record for them. Uh, you, you've got to remember they played, you know, semi final in 2011. They played semis in 2019. They're a good World Cup side. They punch above their weight consistently. And the way that they are framed in this draw is that they'll top their pool and they'll play probably Argentina or Samoa, more likely to be Argentina. And the way that the Argies have been playing in their past two games, I would absolutely bag Wales to kick seven or eight penalties, score the odd try and put themselves into a semi-final. So credit to them. They've played tournament rugby and we haven't. Um, and and credit to Wales uh, too. They lost their their key man, their captain, Dan Bigger, early in the game, 10th or so minute of the game. Played on for a little bit, but he went off. And that that has the that type of injury to the player of, of his experience has can rattle teams and can change game plans. But Wales didn't look fl- flustered by that at all, and they adapted and they kept pushing on and they kept applying pressure to the Wallabies. Um, so credit to them. Oh, that, credit to Gareth Anscombe. Yeah. yeah, Anscombe came on and had a blinder. And we've got to remember, Gareth Anscombe's a damn good player. You know, he's only got 30, 40 caps for the Welsh, but, you know, he's a he's a Kiwi product. I don't know if you've, you know, heard some of the rhetoric in the past, but he's the bloke that kept Bodie Barrett out of the you know, under-20s side back as they were coming through the grade. Like, he's a very good footballer. And to be able to lean on someone like that to come off the bench and steer the game, that's exactly what the Wallabies missed. Yep. Can you imagine the influence of a Quade Cooper or even a Bernard Foley, regardless of what who, you think of their skills? Who was now. sitting in the stands like, watching? Yeah, and the tweet as well <laughs> afterwards. It didn't have to be this way. You know, there's some really interesting commentary coming out yeah. 
Um, and I guess a, a final word, if I can, on some external commentary. How classy to hear from Michael Hooper yeah. getting behind the team, the coaching staff, and backing them to the hilt. You know, when everyone else is piling on in the stand coverage, um, some of it, you know, obviously justifiable. Um, you know, Hoops is there, the forgotten man left at home, backing all his teammates, backing Eddie, backing the staff. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can look at Michael Hooper and see a bad bloke or a bad leader. You know, maybe he's faded a bit in his rugby powers, but what he does for the game on and off the field and his presence and his poise, um, yeah, it's priceless. And we missed it. We really missed it. We really, really did. And just even if we didn't see minutes from Hooper in this World Cup, having him in the setup and having him around the team for his experience, for his composure, would have done massive things for such a young squad. So I think we will look back on this and see that this was a missed opportunity, unfortunately, for this team. Um, we should push on. We do have a fair bit more to cover in, in terms of what else happened for the World Cup this weekend. So what that means, though, is we will deep dive into this in a few weeks' time. So if you have certain areas you want us to focus on, if you've got certain questions you want answered, we will do our best to try and find who's best placed in Australian rugby to answer those questions and who's willing to come on and talk to us, obviously. Um, but we will do a deep dive into this and um, we'll go through everything that's happened and, and sort of have a look at what happens next. But let it, let's leave that there and let's get into some of the other results from some of the other pools uh, this weekend. So pool A is my pool. So we'll start with that one. And we had two pretty big games this weekend. So the first game on Thursday night, our time uh, was Italy versus Uruguay, 38-17 there to Italy. Now, that's a good win for Italy. Uruguay were not a bad team at all, and they pushed them all the way. Um, great to see some of the Italian players standing up and really delivering on some of the promise and the hype they've been building into this World Cup over the past few years. Uh, the biggest game of the pool, though, was the second game, which was on Friday morning, France against Namibia, 96 nil in that one. Now, that's a pretty big score anytime. But one of the biggest things and the bit of bits of news that have come out of that game is that star player Anton Dupont, their captain, did receive a fractured jaw from a high hit uh, and that has seen him out of at least the foreseeable future of the World Cup. We're not yet sure when he will be back, but they're hoping and they're saying at this point that he will be back hopefully before the final. That's a massive blow. Um, I don't think you can overstate how crucial Antoine Dupont is, not just as a player on the field, but as their leader and the the player that galvanises a nation behind him. He's got that level of celebrity now in France, um, especially off the back of their 2022 uh, Grand Slam. Um, so just the direction and the fluidity with which the French play without him is, you know, worlds apart. You, know, you get Maxime Lucou, and yes, he's got a great relationship with um, Chalibert at club level, but it's not not the same. It's not the same, and you've already lost Entomac. You've lost the prize pivot. Um, Antoine Dupont will be back. Um, we've sort of seen some reports come out that he's already had a metal plate inserted into his face um, to try and oh. cover things up. He might go a bit, might go a bit Hannibal Lecter um, <laughs> and get a creepy mask on in the next couple of weeks or so. So I don't think anything's going to stop him coming back if he can, but... Um, huge blow and especially in a banana you know skin game over the next couple of weeks you know we've seen 
you know, you might not be impressed by Italy's first half, but their second half show that they can play. Yep. And there's no real rest for France because the quarterfinal is going to be against probably South Africa now that Ireland have um, beaten them. And I can't think of a worse quarterfinal matchup, really. The, that's their reward for beating New Zealand and topping their pool is a date, a likely date with the box. <laughs> and that could be without DuPont. So, I mean, go figure. And again, the draw, you know, that's its own um, unpacking <laughs> podcast later in the piece. But yeah, huge challenges coming up for France despite the big score. Well, um, the final, well, the the current placings for Pool A after three weeks of competition has France in first place on 13 points. Italy currently making it out of the pool in second place on 10 points. That isn't taking into account the fact that New Zealand did have their bye this weekend. So they've only played two games and they've got the one one win there, five points to them in third place. Uruguay and Namibia yet to score a point um, on the table or, or get a victory yet. Uh, but... Yeah, expect big things from New Zealand when they're back and, and making their charge into the, the quarterfinals in the next few weeks. Moving across into Pool B, Lockie. Oh, Pool B, I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate to have these two games um, before the Wallabies to sort of soothe the and provide a bit of an early tonic uh, because both of these games were brilliant. I was really lucky. Um, and starting off the... the energy in the atmosphere at the Box v Island game was like nothing you've seen. And everyone was talking about the opening game, obviously New Zealand. Before we get France, too much into the actual game and the rugby, what are your thoughts on the anthems? Now there was a lot of talk around the first weekend of rugby that the anthems weren't that great with the, the children's choir. They've since hmm. rectified that issue and they've now got like a, a, a recording of someone singing the anthem. But it still doesn't sit right with me when you watch the anthems. There's like a two or three second delay between the players singing the anthem and what's blaring through the speakers. Yeah, it's a funny one. And it's, it's very French, you know, to have things change haphazardly and leap all over the shop. But I, I, I feel like every time I hear the French anthem, it's perfect. So, um, so go figure. Yeah, say what you will. It's just a little bit more effort <laughs> put it on their front. Um, but, yeah, we'll start with the, the Box Island game. And I touched on it quickly. The, the atmosphere was electric. Um, the entire game, um, particularly the Irish fans, were just going berserk, singing their hearts out, you know, from from Ireland's court at the start all the way through and those last 20 minutes where it became real. You know, South Africa kept bungling opportunities to win this game and the Irish belief grew and grew and there was great footage at full time, um, Ireland getting up thirteen to eight of all the Irish fans singing "Zombie" yeah, by the Cranberries, belting it out. It was just awesome. It was so good to see. Um, but yeah, this was this was Test match footy at its most br- brutal and beautiful. Um, the thirteen eight looks like a terrible scoreline, and then nothing happened. But it couldn't be further from the truth. They were just you know thirty blokes beating the living daylights out of each other for more than 80 minutes, as it turned out. And, um, you know, there's a couple of points we can go through there. Um, you know, it's only 3-0. It's 3-0 three, three to the box after half an hour. That's the kind of attritional game this was. Um, and then, you know, Mac Hansen broke things open with a very, very late dive. In front I of thought the he ran it he, he was so close. I genuinely think he might have, but, um, you know, I don't think Ben O'Keefe we don't um, look at that. Just... wanted to look at it too closely. And yeah. it's not the first time Ben O'Keefe came under scrutiny, actually, in this game. A lot of late calls that we'll touch on quickly. But um, at, at the end of the day, uh, I'd love, I'd recommend that you go watch, watch the mini, but uh, it's the box lost this one. It wasn't Ireland winning it. The Springboks threw this away. 
um, whether it was their revolting white and teal away kit or third the fact kit. that Marnie LeBlanc. The third kit that yeah, third South kit. Africa have worn third in this kit. World having a field day. Yeah. And no collar. No collar. That's where the problem is. Um, yeah, yeah LeBlanc, LeBlanc missed two penalty shots um, in the final half hour. Um, Faf de Klerk missed two penalties throughout the game as well. I think there may have been another one earlier in the piece. But the the critical moment, um, so uh, Colby goes over and scores 53 minutes in and LeBoc misses a sitter to convert and take the lead, no, to extend their lead to 10-7. Immediately, Ireland go back, win a scrum penalty. They get up 8-10. LeBoc misses again. Faf misses again. And on the 70-minute mark, after they've you know, skewed those chances, they have a liner and they go full Australia and shank the throw. <laughs> so you, know, you can't go back. And we will point to this final decision because it's a huge deal. But they had multiple opportunities to win this game in Springboks and they did not take them. Yep. So credit to Ireland. They made their kicks at the end. You know, A sitter you know, about five minutes from time for Johnny Sexton to put them out to a, a try to win it, to that 13-8 buffer. But we've got to talk about the final play because it was huge. Rolling maul, box bomb squad in full swing. Um, immediately, tide burn, um, the Irish lock is offside. Finley Bealham is offside, swimming around the maul to collapse it. It's then illegally pulled down and then the Irish trap it into the collapsed maul and play the halfback as he's got his hands on the ball and Ben O'Keefe calls unplayable in time, you know, ignoring what could be multiple penalties or a penalty try in any other game. So I, I'm glad I tipped the Irish. I'm very glad I backed them. Um, so I'll keep that. But, yeah, I think there's a reason for Vox fans to feel a bit robbed. Next time, just make your kicks. Easy as that. I think in, um, uh, in really defense of Ben O'Keefe and also the you know, South Island in a way, uh, I think when you read the the rule book or the law book, you're meant to have three seconds from when um, a more collapses to when you need to get the ball out and it's called unplayable. He gave them nearly six. So he was on one side watching it. He then went around the other side. And unfortunately for South Africa, it was when he went around the other side and he said, I can't see the ball. You can hear him on the audio saying, where is it? Where is it? That South Africa gets their hands on it. And he's getting it out of the mall when he calls unplayable. So yeah, you're right. There probably was a few Irish players offside and it is suspect how it got collapsed. Uh, the fact that the TMO, though, didn't come in and say, like, we need to check this make, makes me think that maybe there isn't clear and obvious evidence that it was collapsed that way. Um, but, you know, as you said, you've got to take your kicks and you can't leave it to a roll of the dice on, on final whistle if you want to win a World Cup. 100%. And the box have benefited from that multiple times. And I won't grudge the Irish for knocking them over because it's good to say there's nothing worse than a Springboks fan getting too big headed at a World Cup. <laughs> so I'm glad to see them taken down just a small peg. Um, but over in the Scotland Tonga game, a, a blowout, really. I thought this was going to be closer. But um, the Scots really set the tone early. They looked like they'd crossed after just two minutes um, and then did so another two minutes later, got out to an early lead. Um, a couple of cards from Tonga really proved costly. Ill-discipline at the tackle. Um, first, Talmapia with a head-high shot and then Vi Fafita with a real cheap shot. It's got to be set on Finn Russell late in the piece um, to really cruel any chances. Um, but, you know, some great tries from Scotland. They had their bonus point before half-time, um, on the stroke of half-time, actually. And Finn Russell, 
shows the value of a 10 with experience who can play. His, his passing game to unlocked the, um, the Tonga wide channels was beautiful through the first half. He had assists in at least three of the Scottish tries and his goal kicking you know, was a bit wobbly, but just out of general play, he remains probably the form 10 in the world at the moment. So 45 to 17 um, for Tonga, all the South African um, Scots scoring tries and doing well, which is good to see, and um, leaves Paul B in a pretty interesting position um, ahead of their final game um, coming up. Yeah, so we've got in first place, we've got Ireland on 14 points with uh, playing three of their games. We have South Africa also playing three games on 10 points, picking up that loss this week against Ireland. Scotland have played two games so far. Uh, and they're on five points with their win this week over Tonga and Tonga and Romania following up the rear, still yet to get um, a point on the board. All right, let's... Yeah, um, it's a bit of a I was say, let's move into Pool C. So we've spent a fair bit of time talking about the Wallabies and Australia game, 40-6 to six there to Wales. Uh, sorry, Wales and, Aust- and Australia. <laughs> I think I just said Wallabies, Australia. Uh, but the other game from the weekend and the first draw we have seen in the world cup so far was georgia and portugal now if there is a game for soccer fans to watch in this world cup i'd say put this one on because this was a game of both teams not wanting to win it shots at goal in the last five or so minutes for both teams that ultimately lost it and resulted in a draw well, this is heartbreaking. I felt for both sides. I mean, you know, Georgia, it probably tipped his favourites ahead of this, even though Portugal had some good showings um, and then got out to a pretty hot start, the Lelos. And then all of a sudden, Portugal have that game in control. And it's a last gasp try to the Georgians um, to tie things up. Um, kicker has a shot, you know, with maybe a minute remaining to put them ahead by two. And then obviously the miss from the Portuguese kicker you know, after full time from what was a pretty kickable position yep. um, as well. So it looked, I mean, both teams looked like they just had a, a crushing loss, really. There was no emotion outside of abject disappointment and sadness from a draw, and I, I felt for both teams. Um, obviously, a couple of big games coming up for uh, Portugal as well. They'll have Fiji, um, they'll have Australia too, and they'll have a point to prove um, as well with Georgians and the Fijians. So... Expecting a couple of big games coming out of those two teams. Um, I certainly hope for our sake that both can maybe give a shake and keep our minute mathematical chance alive, but we'll have to wait and see. So looking how things are currently shaping up on the table, we have Wales in first place on 14 points, getting all the wins of their game so far. Uh, Fiji currently in second place on six points. Now they've played two games. They've only lost the one. Um, We... Uh, we're also currently on six points. We've played three games, though, so they've got a game to to play, a game in hand. We then have Georgia and Portugal both on two points now from that draw this week. So as things currently stand, there is a very mathematical chance that Australia could potentially get in should Fiji drop their next two games, even by a bonus point, Uh, but it doesn't look likely. Let's finish things off with Paul D. Yeah, Paul D was a funny one. Our, our, our Paul D correspondent, Ando, currently away, but we can give a pretty brief overview because, as Paul D consistently proves, it's not worth spending a lot of time on. <laughs> um, quickly, the Argentinians, uh, the return of the boff, um, Emiliano, Emiliano, sorry, uh, Belli, um was the mastermind in Argentina's must-win game against Samoa, um, scored a crucial try, you know, kicked the leather off the ball and was a bit of a linchpin for them 
against Manu Samoa. Um, really upset for the Samoans that they couldn't jag a bonus point. Would have been massive in their campaign to try and get out of this pool because now it's all or nothing when they face the English um, in the coming over the coming weeks. So big game in the context of their campaign and their aspirations. Um, and really, you know, Fiji were obviously out of the three Pacific sides, tipped to be the best. But you know, Samoa had a really good pull and a really good shot. So it's going to be a, a massive turnaround to see if they can get out of it. Um, and the English against Chile, uh, England. Thank you for trying to prove me wrong. Um, <laughs> playing some expansive and running rugby. Uh, big shout out to Henry Arundel. Uh, five tries, echo, um, equaled uh, Josh Lucy and Chris Latham, I think, for scoring five at a World Cup game, which is massive, um, and on World Cup debut as well. So um, I hope we see a lot more of him, just not against Australia going forward. I don't think anyone's particularly surprised it's a bonus point win, um, but you know, Chile maybe running a bit out of steam after their you know, early start and promise against um, <laughs> against Samoa and against the Japanese, I think maybe we're starting to see a little bit of fatigue from Los Condors. So, um, Paul D, how's that looking now? Yeah, well, I just want to say before we move off this screen, um, Samoa, I thought, looked really good in that last maybe 15, 20 minutes of the second half. Argentina looked pretty dominant up until that point and looked like they had the game pretty well tied away, but Samoa scored late and, and were putting some fair bit of pressure on Argentina. So, uh, I, I was expecting Argentina to maybe have a bit more of a score in this game and have the scoreline maybe not so close. Uh, and, and as you said, um, Samoa could have got themselves a bonus point and they will be upset with themselves that weren't able to do that. Um, but looking at the, the table so far, I've got England currently on first place on 14 points, getting all the wins in their games to date. Samoa in second place on five points with Japan also in second place on five, uh, well, tied in second place currently on five points. Um, I, they haven't played yet. So, um, Samoa must have a better for and against at this point. Um, Argentina in fourth on four points and Chile on coming up the end with no points currently. So Argentina has two big games coming up to be able to, well, a big game. I think there's only one left. Um, I don't know, there'd be two. Two big games coming up. They've had their bye uh, to make sure that they can qualify out of this pool. 100%. They'll need that bonus point against Chile, which you'd think they'd be banking on. And a, a huge game, really, for Japan. They've got two games, um, the the Brave Blossoms, that could define this pool, really. You'd always think that it's in Japan's hands. They're playing Samoa and they're playing Argentina. And there's a you know decent chance that if Japan you know get a good result in one of those games and a bonus point, maybe they're the ones that sneak through, which we wouldn't have predicted. Yeah. I think um, after the first round of this World Cup that Japan might get a sniff and potentially a date with a, a Wales or a, or a Fiji or a, a, who knows, Australia. Nah. But um, <laughs> the, in a pretty amazing turnaround for the Japanese if they can, um, after the kind of uh, you know, build-up that they've had, to make a quarterfinal, um, it's it's within their grasp, it's within their control, which is pretty interesting to see. So um, maybe pool is not so boring after all. That's right. Lots of permutations still to come to see how that pool ends up finishing off. Still a lot of rugby to play in this World Cup. Now, uh, as we said earlier in this podcast, Australia have all but got themselves out of this World Cup. So as podcast hosts, we can't just hang our hats up and say the World Cup's over. We need to pick a team to follow. Who are you backing now for the remainder of the cup, Lockie, since the Wallabies don't look like they'll be hanging around too much longer? 
oh, you got to back Fiji, right? I mean, it's the it's the fairy tale story of the World Cup, and I would love to see them make a quarterfinal, um, even if it's at our expense, which is hard to say. But you know, Fiji potentially coming up against England, which is looking like a likely quarterfinal matchup now, given their recent history with the Fijians taking a game in Twickenham. I mean, there's so much to like about that matchup and. Um, I think I've got to hang my hat on Fiji going ahead. Have you got a team in mind? Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping South Africa can go back to back. I think that'd be fantastic for their country. Obviously not getting the, the win this week, but as you said, they they kind of lost that game and didn't win and Ireland didn't necessarily win it with um, not getting their kicks. If South Africa can sort that out, and I don't know how they do that currently, but I'm sure they will get some more points off the tee, I think that they'll um, they'll upset a few teams moving forward. So really excited by what they can bring later into this competition. And there is so much more rugby to look forward to. So don't give up hope yet, uh, rugby fans back here in Australia. Now, this is getting to the end of the podcast. We've spoken a lot about the Wallabies. We've spoken a lot about Eddie Jones. We've spoken a lot about the Wales game. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Any sort of glimmer of hope? that Wallabies fans can cling to for the remainder of 2023 and before we head into 2024? Oh, maybe not so much the Wallabies. I mean, we've got the game against Portugal. I want a good win. I'll be up and watching again. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter how many times we get hurt, we'll have the faith and come back. But there, there are some exciting things coming up um, in the rugby space. Um, for the amateur game in particular, um, this coming week sees the Australian Rugby Shield return to Ballymore, which is some of our smaller states and regions playing, um, you know, New South Wales and Queensland country, uh, Tasmania, South Australia, um, a lot of these smaller areas get represented and play on the big stage, which you can watch um, through rugby.com.au, which is super exciting. Uh, and then also our Wallaroos. Mm -hmm. Our Wallaroos are back in action um, over these next few weeks as well. And we're seeing, you know, the Laura O'Reilly Cup game happening, uh, you know, in this coming week. Um, we're over against the Black Ferns and Waikato, I believe, this coming Saturday um, for a game. So lots to look forward to. Um, we'll obviously be keeping touch of the World Cup and get our claws into WXV coming up. So there's plenty of rugby to look forward to. Um, I think, yeah, the, the less said about that Wallabies game, the better. I think we've said all we can. <laughs> and uh, for those that aren't aware and haven't seen the news, uh, Rugby Australia has announced that they have what they're calling um, Super Rugby. Actually, I don't even know what it's called at this point. It's Super Rugby something or other, but it's an under-16s or under-19s competition that all of the state uh, teams are playing in, and it's all broadcast live on Stan Sports. So you get get a chance to follow your Super Rugby provinces and see some upcoming talent coming through the pathways as well, which is always always a good opportunity, and that's something I think at this point that we can look forward to the future and hope that we might see a future some future wallabies running around there yeah for sure and with our 16s and 19s playing we've also got our uh, under 18s i think schoolboy wallabies coming up they've got two games against new zealand in canberra over the coming week so we'll bring you some of that action too and yeah get behind our, our youth get behind our wallaroos and stay behind the wallabies it's hard you know it's it was really hard <laughs> to come on this evening i don't know about you yep. Mitch, but I found it quite difficult to sort of galvanize myself to come on and talk about it, but we still love them. We're going to, I'll be up and watching that Portugal game and, you know, we can have our you know, post-mortem in a couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, all right. Let's call it there, team. Thanks for Ando for tuning in all the way from Bali. 
Hope you and the family enjoy your next coming week or so away. Uh, we'll be back next week to cover the Portugal game and then maybe the week after or we'll see how things are shaping up. We'll um, dive into the Wallabies and yeah, do a bit of a, a post-mortem of this World Cup and sort of figure out where and why it went wrong. Um, thanks to getting to this point in the podcast. We'll be back next week. We'll catch you then. Bye.